Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have spoken to us. You've spoken in many ways through the prophets of old, through visions and dreams and through direct revelation. You have spoken to us most clearly through Jesus, your son, who came to this earth. And it is his teaching that we want to study in this workshop. We want to listen to the teaching of Jesus and we want to live what we learn. And so I thank you for each person here and I pray your blessing as we study the word of Jesus together. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, The song that I want to teach you today is actually the scripture that we're going to study. And it's taken, if you have uh, your Bible with you, it's uh, Luke chapter 10 and verse 2. And then the bridge for the song is from John chapter 4 and verse 35. And I am not a great singer like some of the musicians we have here. So it will sound better if you sing with me. So I'm going to teach you the song. It's a word for word from the New King James translation of the Bible. And it's called The Harvest. And thank you for playing that for us. Can we have that just a little louder? Is that possible? Here we go. Here's how it goes. The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. The laborers are few. Can you repeat that? The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Repeat that. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest, into his harvest. The harvest, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. And then from John chapter 4. Do you not say? Still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for the harvest. That's right. From the beginning here. Harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. The laborers are few. The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray. Therefore pray, the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers. Therefore pray, the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers. Therefore pray, 
Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send our laborers. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send our laborers. And God's people said, Amen. You sounded beautiful. Thank you to our AV team for making that happen. What we sang together was actually the word of Jesus. We're going to unpack that, uh, to study that in this seminar uh, over the time that we have available. And uh, if you have your Bible, I want you to open it to the scripture. If you brought your phone or your iPad or some electronic copy of the scripture, we're going to be studying from Luke chapter 10. In order to share with you later in this workshop about the radical prayer that Jesus asks us to pray, we first need to see the world from God's radical perspective. Now, I grew up in the south of England. We don't have many mountains there. I remember the first time I... Uh, went to Switzerland, and uh, my mother's family was from the Bernese Oberland near Interlaken. Have any of you been to Switzerland? Okay. So if you've been to Interlaken, if you look up from Interlaken, what can you see? Well, you can see the Jungfrau. You can see uh, the Eiger. You can see the massive mountains of the Bernese Oberland. Uh, That's beautiful to see it, but even more remarkable, (laughs) if you uh, take the train to the top, uh, it's not the top of the Jungfrau, but it's to the saddle near the top. If any of you have done that, you can then go to an observation deck and you can see the mountains from a totally new perspective. You feel like you're up on top of the world. Seeing the world from a new perspective, that's what God wants for those who will pray the radical prayer. And so I want you to notice in the text that we are studying, if you have your Bible open to Luke chapter 10, how Jesus begins his teaching. And we will begin our teaching in this first part of the workshop. Jesus begins, and I'm reading from the New King James Version, by saying to them, the harvest truly is great. Now, I need you to study the Bible. I was told that this is a time to interact. So who is the them? He said to them that he is Jesus. At least if you have a red letter edition, it shows it's Jesus. Who is the them? Anyone? Uh, it's it, it's the disciples, but not the twelve. Someone said the seventy. Huh? So Jesus had said to the twelve, recorded in Matthew chapter 9, the very same words. But he just sent them out to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now he is speaking to the seventy. And he is going to send them out to every city and village he is about to go. The seventy represent all of the nations. If you go back to 
Genesis chapter 10. All of the descendants of Noah. So they represent uh, us going to the whole world and to those disciples who are to go to the whole world. Jesus says something. I have just uh, five words in my English Bible. The harvest truly is great. Can you say that? Were you listening carefully? Can you say that with me? The harvest truly is great. Let's say it one more time. The harvest truly is great. Okay? So, uh, let me ask you a question now. What is the harvest that Jesus is talking about? What is the harvest? Well, this metaphor of the harvest can be used in, is used in two ways in the New Testament. Uh, look with me in uh, Matthew chapter 13. You can keep your place in Luke 10, but go to Matthew chapter 13. And there we find uh, the harvest spoken of. Jesus is speaking about uh, sowing good seed, and then an enemy comes and sows weeds in the field. And in verse 39 of Matthew 13, Jesus says, the enemy who sowed these weeds is who? The devil. And the harvest is when? The end of the age. And who are the reapers? The angels. Okay? So one use of the harvest in the New Testament, the harvest is the what? The end of the age. And who are the reapers? The angels. Go to Revelation chapter 14, to the three angels' messages of Revelation chapter 14. We find the harvest spoken of again. Revelation chapter 14, verse 15. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. So the angel is speaking to the Son of Man on the cloud and says to the Son of Man, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Uh, this is also speaking about the harvest at the end of the age. And who is the reaper? Jesus, the one seated on the throne who has this sickle. So you've got Jesus and the angels as the reapers, and the harvest is the judgment at the end of the age. That's one use of the harvest. But if you go back to our text in Luke chapter 10, that is not the harvest that Jesus is referring to. This harvest in Luke 10 is present. And the harvesters are not angels. Who are the harvesters? We are. That's right. And it's not something at the end of the world. Yes, that's the Son of Man and the angels, the final judgment harvest. But this harvest is present, and we are the harvesters. And what is the harvest? Do you know? What is the harvest? 
what does Jesus mean when he says, the harvest truly is great? I, the world? Okay. What about the world? Yep. There are people in the world who are part of God's harvest. That means that they are just waiting for the invitation to become a part of his kingdom. And who is going to tell them? Or who is supposed to tell them? We are. So Jesus says to the 70 disciples, they represent all of us. He's saying, the harvest is great. There are men and women, young people, just waiting for the invitation to become a part of my kingdom. Now I have a question. Why does Jesus tell us the harvest truly is great? Why does he tell us that? You say, because it is. Jesus always tells the truth. Is that right? So maybe it's obvious. He's just telling us the obvious. And let me suggest to you that sometimes it is obvious to us that the harvest is great. Think of Peter and the apostles on the day of Pentecost. They are preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you are at my preaching workshop. They're preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit. Once timid, now bold. Once without prayer sleeping, now praying. Uh, they are preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and in the middle of Peter's sermon, conviction comes upon the hearers. And they, they say, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. For the washing away of your sins. The promise is for you and for your children. And what happens? Does anyone respond to his invitation? Yes. How many? 3,000 people. Now, just so you can understand, how large was the church, the Christian church at this time at Pentecost? How many were there praying in the upper room? Do you know? 120. One week, impact Scandinavia. We have how many here? 400? So they go from 120 to 3,120 in one week. Actually, in one day. Impact Scandinavia, some mathematician helped me. 120 to 3,120. 400 would go to how many? Huh? How many? Would it be over 10,000? Yeah, 12,000. Thank you. So how would you feel if... This year, we come to Impact Scandinavia at 400. We say, praise God, that's a lot of people. But what if next year there were 12,000 people? What would you say? Yeah, praise the Lord. Okay. But if, you, if you're going to use the words of Jesus, what would you say? The harvest truly is great. Huh? Are you with me? Sometimes it's obvious you look like Peter and the apostles when 3,000 people, that now we are 12,000 for impacts again in We go, wow, the words of Jesus are true. What did Jesus say? The harvest truly is great. Sometimes 
Sometimes it's obvious to us. But may I suggest to you that many times it is not obvious from a human perspective. Many times when we look out in our community, in our city, do we see a great harvest? Not from a human perspective. We look and we go, I don't think anybody's interested. We need to look at the world from God's perspective. Because he says, the harvest truly, what? It's great. Share a story. It's part of our song. John chapter 4. Jesus comes north from Judea. And it says he needed to go through Samaria. Now, the Jews did not go through Samaria. They, they hated the Samaritans. They went around Samaria through Perea and up Decapolis and over to Galilee. They didn't want to go through Samaria. But Jesus needed to go through Samaria. Do you know what? Uh, you have to read the chapter. Because he comes to a well outside of the city of Sychar. It was called Jacob's Well. Jesus is planning to hold an evangelistic meeting there. Do you know how many people come to the meeting? Have you ever been to a meeting where not too many people came? How would you feel if one person came? Why, from a human perspective, you would look and what would you say? What would you say? No harvest here. Right? One person? But Jesus looks even at one person. And what does Jesus say? Jesus sees this one woman. And by the way, if you read the story in John chapter 4, she does not have a good reputation. But he sees in this one woman a citizen of his kingdom. And so he talks to her, and in that conversation with Jesus, her life is changed. John tells us that she went back to the city. And do you know what it says? She called all of the men of the city. She knew them all. She did not have a good reputation. She called all of the men. She said, come, meet a man who told me everything I ever did. I imagine a lot of men sweating in Sychar. Everything? Everything you ever did? But somehow, her witness was so powerful, she wasn't judging them, she was communicating grace to them. She's so powerful... And, and she was so changed that these men are like, what happened to you? She said, come, could it be the Christ? So now, people are coming out of the city. Many people are coming out of the city. How many showed up at the beginning of the meeting? But now many people are coming out of the city. The disciples... They're looking with a human perspective. No harvest. They come back from getting something to eat. 
They don't even see. And Jesus says to them, Do you not say, we sang it in the song, Do you not say four months? And then, then maybe, maybe, maybe a little harvest. I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. For they are already white for the harvest. See the world from God's perspective. Now, I used to think that was just an illustration from agriculture. But I just understood something a little while ago. He says, look in the fields. What's out in the fields? Or should I say, who is out in the fields? Who's there? Coming out of the city. People. The disciples don't even see them. They can all be damned. They can all be lost. Nobody there is interested. Jesus says, open your eyes and look. You know the story, if you've read John chapter 4. The men come out of the city, they said, we believe because of what she said, but now we hear for ourselves. Jesus stayed for two whole days, and many believed in him. The harvest truly is great. God helped me to see the world as you do. I was holding some meetings in Pennsylvania in, in the United States. And not too many people came. Just a few, even the, most of the church members didn't come. They didn't, they didn't expect any harvest. But there was one young couple and they, they sat right here in the front. And they had their Bible. They were, it was a husband and wife. And they were in their 20s. A young couple, good, good uh, candidates for impact. And they're sitting there and they're reading with their Bibles. And they're so interested. You know when people are interested. They're leaning forward and they are smiling and looking and reading in their Bibles. And I thought, well, maybe not a lot of people. Maybe not a big harvest, but maybe a little harvest. God help me to see as you do. Well, we came to the end of the meetings and I thought, I need to go and visit these people, Gary and his wife, Lori. I need to go and visit them and invite them to be baptized and become part of this movement, this last day movement. So I went and visited them. I said, you know, I'm happy that you've come to the meetings and learning so much. I want to invite you to be baptized. And, and they said, um, hmm, I don't think so. Not... We're not, we don't feel convicted. We don't feel God impressing us to do that. Then I felt like, pop, like a balloon, pop. <laughs> now what should I do? It's only two people were interested and now nothing. So what should I do? And I had an amazing idea. <laughs> Maybe I should pray. Duh. Why do we wait until the end to pray? Oh, I've tried everything else in my, you know, problems, or maybe I should pray. Why do we wait till the end? We should pray at the beginning. 
and we should pray in the middle, all the way, huh? Oh, I'm not, you know, busy, busy, busy. Maybe I should pray. So I did. God is so patient with us. We, 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 we have so much to learn. I pray, God, I, I don't know what to do with Gary and Lori, but it seems that their hearts are open to you, but I don't know. I pray you will, you'll speak to them. Gary worked uh, at the nighttime in a factory in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So he worked all night, Thursday night. It was now Friday morning. And he was driving back in his car from Philadelphia to his home in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And while he was driving in his car, the Holy Spirit came close to him and spoke to him. Do you believe that God can still speak to people? (laughs) I know you can't believe everything. You have to test it by the Bible. But while he's driving in his car, the Holy Spirit comes near to him. says, Gary, I I want you to be baptized and to become a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And Gary said, all right, Lord, I will do it. But how can I tell my wife? What Gary did not know, what Gary perhaps had not yet learned, was that Jesus said, Jesus said, it's good if I go away, because I will send you, the Father will send you another, another comforter, and he will be with you and in you. You see, God the Holy Spirit has the attribute, the quality of omnipresence. He can be in Ekebehom and Turifjord at the same time. He can be in Newbold College and even in Southern Adventist University where I'm a teacher. He can be there at the same time. The Son of God had set aside his omnipresence when he came into humanity in the person of Jesus. But the Holy Spirit, he can be with you and with you and with you. He can be in you. Gary maybe did not understand, but you know what I'm going to tell you. Because while he is driving in his car coming home from working all night, the Holy Spirit also visits a house, his house, in Allentown, Pennsylvania. You know what's going to happen now, don't you? Because the Holy Spirit comes to his wife, Lori, and says, I want you to be baptized and to become a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, this movement to prepare the word for the soon coming of Jesus. And, and Lori said, I will do it, Lord. But how can I tell my husband? And finally, Gary comes home. And Gary and Lori meet and share what God has done in their hearts. And they rejoice together that they will both be baptized. Friday morning now. Sabbath, they come to church. They come as they have been for several weeks now with their Bibles and they're reading their Bibles and listening to the sermon and smiling. I don't know anything that's happened. 
And at the end of the sermon, they come to shake my hand. And they say, Pastor, we would like to be baptized and become members of this last day movement, the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And I almost said, why? What happened? But, but they shared their story with me, how driving home and, and there in the house, how the Holy Spirit had visited them. You see, our God is an awesome God. It's not our harvest, is it? Whose harvest is it? <laughs> and he knows those that belong to him. So you say, well, if God knows the ones who belong to him, why does he have to use us? Why can't he do it all by himself? Why does he ask you to join him in his harvest work? Why? Could it be for the salvation of our souls? Could it be that as we realize that we're not just here to try to stay out of trouble until Jesus comes, but we are the light of the world. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Because if you know him, he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. If you have a living connection with Jesus, you have light to share. And when you share, it does something to your own heart. Keeps you strong in the Lord. We want to be baptized, Pastor. You say, that's, that's wonderful. Good. Two people? It's not a great harvest. God, help me to see as you do. The day of their baptism, Gary and Lori are baptized together. They're standing in the water. I'm there with them. And Gary says to me, Pastor, can I speak to the church family? Can I speak? I said, yes, you can speak. So Gary began to speak from the water of the baptismal pool. He began to speak. And as he spoke, the Spirit of God spoke to me and said to me, this young man, this factory worker, is going to be a preacher. And Gary, not long after his baptism, he left his job in the factory in Philadelphia, and he went to Southern Adventist University, where I was then the teach, a teacher. And he studied to become a pastor, and he graduated at the end of his program as the most powerful preacher of his class, factory worker. And thousands of people around the world have heard about Jesus because of that one young man. <laughs> God, help me to see as you do. What does Jesus say? The harvest truly is great. That is what Jesus wants us to begin with. But, but then having showed us his radical perspective about the world, that people are just waiting for an invitation, then he shares a radical problem. Look in your Bible, again in Luke chapter 10. And with this we will finish our study today in the first part of our workshop. 
Luke chapter 10 and verse 2. We sang it in the song together, and we're going to sing it again at the end. Maybe it will mean even more to you when we sing it at the end of our study. Jesus said to them, uh, to us also, the harvest truly is great. We understand that now. People, men and women, young people waiting for the invitation to be a part of his kingdom. Help me to see the world as you do. The harvest is great. What does it say next? But what? But the laborers are few. Now, I have a question for you. Why are the laborers few? What do you think? Maybe the Lord of the harvest made a mistake. Maybe the Lord of the harvest didn't realize how big the harvest would be. So he only asked a few laborers. It's not enough. Maybe we should blame God. What do you think? (laughs) You say, I don't think so. Because the Lord of the harvest knows that the harvest truly is what? It's great. So the harvest is great. You need many laborers. So why are the laborers few? You say they are not. So you are suggesting that God has called many to be laborers. So then, maybe this is the problem. Not that the laborers are few, but the laboring laborers, the working workers are few. If that is true, and I think you're right, because how many are called to be laborers in the harvest? How many? Everyone who becomes a follower of Jesus, right? Because he says, go into all the what? All the world. And it's not just talking to them back then, because he says, I'll be with you even to the end of the age. So that includes us. So all of us are called to be workers, but not all have become workers. So then the question is, why are there not enough working workers? Enough laboring laborers. Well, let me, let me suggest a, a couple of reasons. Look at a story with me in Matthew chapter 21. You can keep your place in Luke 10, but go to Matthew 21. Jesus tells a story <coughs> about a man with two sons. Matthew 21, beginning with verse 28. We've answered the question, what the harvest is. That's people ready to become part of the kingdom. It doesn't always look great to us, but we need to see as God does. But now we're asking the question, why are the laborers few? What do you think? Jesus says, verse 28 of Matthew 21, a man had two sons, and he came to his first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. He could have said, using the language of Luke 10, join me in my harvest work. Son, the harvest truly is great. Come and work in the harvest for me. 
And how does the son respond? What does it say in your Bible? What does he say? I will not. <laughs> Fathers come, son, please come and help. The harvest is great. Come and, and work. And I will not. Rude son. I will not. But <laughs> afterward, he regretted it. What does that mean? Do you know that's a regretted it? What does that mean? He felt bad about his decision, right? And went. In other words, later he thought, he thought, you know, that was not right for me to say that to my father. Why? Because the harvest is great. And, uh, and there need to be laborers. And, and I need to be one of them. Do you understand what is happening in his mind? So first he says, I will not. And later he says, it was not the good thing to say. I, I need to go. I need to go. So he goes out to work in the harvest. That's the older son. Keep reading. Matthew 21. Then the father came to his second son, <coughs> that would be his younger son, and said the same thing. So to the second son, he says, son, uh, go work in the harvest for me. And what does he say? I go. I go. But he didn't go. <laughs> now, I, I've thought a lot about this younger son. What's happening? Is he just lying to his father? I go. But he has no intention of going. He's just going to hide, hide in the barn. I go. Is it possible that he's just lying to his father and has absolutely no intention of going? Is that possible? Is it possible? Yeah. But probably not. Why? Because his older brother has just embarrassed himself by saying, I will not. And then going, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I need to go. So probably the younger son is not lying when he says, I'll go. Probably he knows he should go. It is the right thing to do to go. And so he says, I will go. But he becomes, what's the word in English? Oh, he becomes uh, distracted. How do you say that in your language? Do you know what I mean? It's like, have you ever gone back to get, you forgot the keys to your car. How many of you own a car? Do you have a car? Yeah? You forgot the keys to your car. Oh, I need to go back for my keys. huh? So you go back inside and you forget why you're there. Huh? Has it ever happened to you? And you look, uh, food? Did I come for food? Do I need to go to the toilet? Why am I here? You became uh, distracted. What do you have to do in order to remember? Do you, what do you have to do? Sometimes you have to go back. Oh, keys. <laughs> this younger son, he knew that he should go. It was the right thing to do because the harvest truly is what? It's great. He knew he should go. He planned to go. But he became distracted. 
he was checking his Facebook account or checking his email. You know, he'd been at Impact for a while and came back and he had 217 emails. And instead of doing the harvest work, he became, and then checking other things and became distracted. I thought about that. And I thought, what things distract us? Maybe not for you. But Jesus tells another story. And with this story we will close and then we will sing our song together again. Jesus tells another story in Luke 14. Look with me in Luke 14. <coughs> these, these people are not even asked to come and work. They're just asked to come to a party. But they become distracted with other things. Maybe we could learn a lesson from them in Luke chapter 14, verse 16. Luke 14 and verse 16. Jesus said to a man who spoke about the kingdom, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. So this is not even coming to work in a harvest field. They're just coming to a supper. And he sent his servant at supper time to those who were invited. Come, for all things are now ready. So they had all been invited. And now the servant says, it is time to come. But they all, verse 18 of Luke 14, but they all with one accord began to make excuses. They were, what's the word? Distracted. They began to make excuses. The first said to this servant, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. Now, I don't know if anyone here owns a piece of ground, but would you buy a piece of ground without seeing it? Huh? I don't think it's a good idea. could be next, next to a toxic waste dump or next to some bad thing. You, you, you don't want to buy land without seeing it. So he's not very clever, this fellow. But still, he has acquired a material possession. And he wants to go and look at it. Doesn't want to work, just to look. Now, I don't know how it is in your country. We have many countries represented. Someone told me, how many countries? 20? Some countries here impact Scandinavia. It's amazing. So I don't know how it is in, in your country, but... Um, I'm living now in the United States of America. We have a big problem in America. We have a big problem. We have many problems. One big problem is people like to collect things, material things. So we have shops like Walmart, which sell things very cheap. So you can buy lots of things. And we fill up our houses with things. So that then we have to get bigger houses because we have too many things. And then, uh, this doesn't happen in your country, but where I live, we, we have a, uh, you call the place where the car goes, a garage or a garage, yeah, garage, yeah. 
So then they fill up the garage with things, and then they can't get the car in. That doesn't happen where you live, but in where I live, they fill up the garage with things. So then, I know this sounds uh, crazy, but where I live, you can go and rent another little storage area where you can put more things. We're mad. We have other, do you, have you seen them? They're like little places where you can put things because you have too many things, you can't fit them all in your house and in your garage, and so you have to rent a little place. We have so many things. Now, they tell me that, that the new generation, that the new generation doesn't collect all the things, so it's good. But many do. I wish I could tell you that it's only people who are not followers of Jesus that collect all the things. But do you know they are followers of Jesus? They are Christian people. They say, we're followers of Jesus. And, and they are spending all of their time collecting things. And we can't take anything with us. When we die, we can't take it with us. When Jesus comes, we can't take it with us. And yet many people are, what's the word? They are distracted. You know, oh yeah, I would like to go on that uh, mission trip, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm busy. <laughs> With my things. Things distract us. Now, I'm not telling you that you should go home from Impact Scandinavia and give all of your things away. Hmm. But Jesus did tell one young man to give all of his things away. Do you remember? Why? Because all of these things were distracting him. Huh? So if you have a few things and they don't distract you from being a laborer in the harvest, it's good. It's good to have some things. You can have clothes to put on. But if all you live for is your clothes and your 20 pairs of shoes and your seven watches and it's all going to burn when the earth catches fire. Maybe it's not a problem in your country. Maybe just in the United States. Material things distract us. Well, what was the second one? Let's, let's look and see. First one was material things. The second reason for distraction, verse 19 of Luke 14. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to test them. Please have me excused. Um, that's different from, I thought it was the same as buying the land, but, but this is, uh, this is work. He says, I want, I just bought a new tractor and I want to go and try it out. Or I just got a new laptop computer for work and, and I want to try out a new software program or, or I just uh, bought a new tool, uh, for my business and I, I, work is distracting the person from going to the supper. Work. Is it possible that our work could distract us from being laborers in the harvest? Is that possible? Very possible. Now, I don't know how it is in the country where you live, but I can tell you that where I live, even the house where I live, it's possible to be at work all day and then to come home and you bring your work with you. Yeah, it's on your iPhone. It's, it's on your email. And so your work is on your cell phone. 
I, I can remember with sadness times when uh, I would even, we were having maybe family worship or family time together and the phone would ring. Oh, you don't have to listen to the phone. They can leave a message, right? You don't have to answer the email right away or you don't have to do that. You don't have to work all of the time. You say, well, I'm just trying to help my family. And so it gets, uh, maybe it doesn't happen in the country where you live, but, but where I live, you know, it gets kind of tense in the family because it's one person always working. You're always working. You have no time. I'm doing it for you. What? What are you doing? What are you doing? God says, I need a laborer in my harvest. But God, I'm, I'm working because I'm, I'm wanting to get promoted to a new position. Is it possible that work could distract us from being laborers in the harvest? One last distraction. This one may be a little uncomfortable for you. Verse 20 of Luke 14. Another said, I have married a wife. And therefore I cannot come. A relationship can distract you. Is that true? They say, uh, I don't know. Is it true? I can tell you from my life. When I was... A young man working at a British bank in a relationship with a, a girl who was not a devoted follower of Jesus. She was a good person. I don't say anything about her that would be bad. But she was not a devoted follower of Jesus. And it was a, what's the word? Distraction. Hmm? Distraction. So you try to live part of your life for God and part of your life somewhere else. It's a distraction. When God finally got a hold of my life, I left my position at the bank and two days later I was uh, enrolled as a student at Newbold College in England. I had to walk away from that relationship. In fact, Jesus said, you can't look back. Why? Because maybe if you look back, you will go back. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes a relationship can distract us. Uh, it can even happen in the church where maybe there's fighting or there's disagreement or you don't like this person. And you know what I'm talking about? No, it's not just a wife or a boyfriend or it can be just other people, you know. And instead of doing the work that God wants us to do, we're like bang, 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 fighting with each other. Over silly things like what color the floor is or what kind of music we have in the singing. We fight. And relationships distract us. All the while, while we are 
non-working workers. We are non-laboring laborers. All the while, while the Lord is crying out because the harvest truly is what? And so you have to come back to the next part of this workshop. When is it? Is it on sun tomorrow? Is it tomorrow? Do you know? Sunday? Tomorrow. You have to come back because tomorrow, if you had to miss one, you should have missed today, okay? Can't miss next one. Because, because the harvest truly is what? But the laborers are... So we have to pray, I'm going to tell you tomorrow, something that totally changed my life. You should invite a friend to come with you. Something that totally changed my life. As I realized that I was a distracted, distracted, non-laboring laborer, non-working worker. Do we have time? Three minutes. Can we play the soundtrack? I want you to sing it again with a new understanding. And in part two, I will share with you a prayer that will change everything. The radical prayer. Thank you to our AV team for helping us. Let's try to sing it together as we close. The harvest truly is great. But the laborers are few, the laborers are few. Repeat that. The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Sounds good. Therefore pray. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest his harvest into his harvest the harvest truly is great but the laborers are few sounds beautiful do you not say do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are Thank you.
God, Lord of the harvest, help us to see our world as you do. Open our eyes to see that the harvest truly is great. And God, if there is something that is distracting us, material possessions, work, a relationship. If there's something that is distracting us from being a laborer in your harvest, God, please rescue us. We ask you to save us from that thing, whatever it is. And as we continue to study a prayer that you want us to pray, I pray that you would give us open hearts not only to hear your word, but to do what we hear. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you'd like to get a copy of what we've presented today, you can go to the website, theradicalprayer.com. And you can download uh, parts one and two uh, of this series. God bless you and hope to see you for a very important part two, whenever that is. Is it tomorrow, really? Tomorrow afternoon. All right, God bless you. Have a good uh, supper together. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.